Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Save on Cox Internet when you add Cox Mobile and get fiber-powered internet at home and unbeatable 5G reliability on the go. So whether you're playing a game at home... Yes, cool. ...or attending one live... No! ...you can do more without spending more. Learn how to save at cox.com slash internet. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial cable. Cox Mobile runs on the network with unbeatable 5G reliability as measured by Ookla LLC in the U.S. to H 2023. Results may vary, not an endorsement. Other restrictions apply. From the halls of assembly, you'll hear us scream and shout. Our love of Indiana is manic and devout. Archie and his boys, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. Us two goofy guys go by names of Ward and Eric. And as you probably know by now, we're Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Eric, are you nervous? I'm nervous for two reasons. I'm yeah. nervous for two reasons. Let's, let's first say I am nervous for who we're talking to today because we are talking to a bona fide legend that most people, including us, didn't know enough, don't know or didn't know enough about. And so I'm nervous because I have such reverence for what he did for Indiana that I want to make sure we do a good job in sharing it and telling people how important it is that they latch onto this dude because he's a dude. I get that, but because of our our introduction to who he is and the kind of guy he is through Mike Boss Roberts, I'm not nervous about it feeling like I have a sense for his personality when I've never met the guy. Yeah, look, I'm going to try to take some of that because I, I'm just excited. Look, you know, they say that the physiological response to being nervous and excited are exactly the same thing. Mm-hmm. So I'm both. I'm nervous and excited because you just go through this guy's resume and it's staggering and you kick yourself for not knowing it already the way we know a Calbert Cheney or a Quinn Buckner or a Scott May or even a... Hey, don't kick yourself. That's what we're here for. We're all Fair enough. we're all learning together and deepening our appreciation together. And I think it's, except for some who have been around since the McCracken era, this is a concerted effort we all need to to make together. Now, the real reason I'm nervous. Same reason I'm nervous. Right now, we're recording this on August 31st, but it is September 1st when we are releasing it. Mm-hmm. In 60 days' time. I don't know, is it 61? Maybe it's 61. On November 1st is when the true campaign for Board of Trustees at Indiana University begins. Starting November 1st, unless they change it again, but I think starting November 1st is when the process to collect 200 signatures that can get you on the ballot begins. And that is when our campaign to change Indiana University for the better begins in earnest. 
and we've been talking for about it for a while, and today is the day two months out that Ward is going to share with you and me the theme song for our campaign. I swear on my kids, I have not heard this, not one note, not one lyric. Ward, what do you want to say about this before I get to listen to it along with the Hoosier Nation? I hope the listeners like it. (laughs) Since I am going to get your reaction first, I have to hope that you don't because (laughs) you didn't like the theme song and that meant that they did. So just going by history, I'm going to feel the best because look, of course I want you to love your own campaign song, but it's, it needs to work on the people, right? Like yeah. I, I, I wanted to come up with something that uh, sticks with them in a good way and, uh, and will help the cause here. If it's something that's bothersome to them, it, it may really sink your chances. You know, I think so many great campaigns have been ruined by a bad campaign song. The pressure is really on. Yeah, right. That, that, <laughs> that list is long. Look, here's what I'll say to you. I feel like there's no pressure on the song because... Well, there is pressure on the song, but I'll, I'll spin it why there's real pressure on the song. There's no pressure on the song because if anyone is going, if anyone or thing is going to do any damage or have a detrimental impact on my ability to win for the board of trustees, it's going to just be me. Right, it's and you. It's me. <laughs> that said, now that I had nothing to do with this song, I have given no thoughts, no direction, nothing and we're gonna put it out in the world, regardless. By the way, I don't get to control this. It's going out. I just got a butterfly. Yeah, okay, good. In my tummy, it, it just flipped and flopped a little bit. Thousands of people are gonna to listen to this. Mm-hmm. And if I don't win, this song is to blame. <laughs> I mean, I, I, now, I now have something to blame for losing the seat on the board of trustees. And it's gonna be this song, regardless. I gave you an out and I'll give myself an out because let's say you do like it and the listeners hate it. And it's very clear by Twitter and message board (laughs) that they hate it. It just gets buried. It just gets buried because I think we can say with absolute certainty, it is the first time an IU trustee has ever had a campaign song. Gotta be. So, so really if it's just a total dud, we get some comedy out of it over the next couple, three weeks, and then we bury it like it never existed. Can you imagine like what it would do to our relationship if I heard it, hated it, and like really got in my head about wanting to win the trustee and went to Straight No Chaser and got them to do a campaign theme song that I loved? And I'd be like, well, why don't you do this podcast with Straight No Chaser? <laughs> <laughs> All right, should we do this? Okay. Who's your man to lead us? Who's not a total dud? Who's your brother bleeding? Crimson blue blood. Who's your man demanding what you want and more? Who's you gotta get us back to the final four? We got to vote for Eric, man for you and me. We all trust in Eric. 
future trustee If you want to see the candy stripe Back in the promised land You best just vote for every cause of no Who's your man? <laughs> oh, fuck. I mean, <laughs> fuck. <laughs> it is so fucking hysterical. Uh, <laughs> well, that's appropriate. Uh, it's so funny. I took uh, it so <laughs> serious, trying so hard to like do different instruments, which I'd never done before on one track. Uh, and the whole process, you know, I've been just, trying to do good on it until I started watching you react to it. I forgot how truly ridiculous the whole thing is. <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> I mean, I mean, wait, all right, let's, can we break down the lyrics a little bit? Do you have the lyrics in front of you? I have them in my brain. Okay. So give me, just give me the first run of lyrics again. Okay. Who's, well, and and you can yeah, take it's it. Hoosier, I, which I loved the playing with Hoosier and Hoosier. Yeah. I like that. Okay, go, so go who's for it. your man? Who's your man to lead us? Who's your man? Who's your man to lead us? Who's not a total dud? Right. Who's your brother bleeding? Bleeding. Yeah. Crimson blue blood. Blood. You like that? I like that. Crimson blue blood. I like it. Crimson blue blood. I like it. Who's your man demanding? What you want and more? Oh, who's your man demanding what you want and more? Okay. Who's your guy to get us back to the final four? <laughs> <laughs> That's the part that got me. I mean, there is nothing <laughs> I can do to get us back to the final four. You better not say that. Well, look. You, look, what's politics? Making promises you cannot possibly keep. Right. We're going to get back to the final four. You're right. Vote for me. We're back in the final four. Under your leadership. Okay. Under my leadership. Under my stewardship. Uh, I love that. That that killed me. Okay, then. We've got to vote for Eric. Man for you and me. Yeah. We all trust in Eric. Future trustee. The best. The best. I mean, you just, <laughs> you rhymed with trustee. You rhymed with trustee. You figured you backed into the trustee rhyme. I like it. Um, uh, Future trustee. If you want to see the candy stripe back in the, the promised, promised land, land. Yeah. you best just vote for Eric, also known as Hoosier Man. I mean... First off, thank you. I mean, you're welcome. You took a, you really spent time working on this, and I appreciate that. It is so ridiculous. And then the <laughs> the little run that you go on there at the end, about right before you say, you know, also known as who's your man, like the little pause. I like it. I mean, I just want to see kids singing this song on, you know, in farms across Indiana. Is that too much to ask? That's what I had in mind. And to be clear. I wrote it in about 15 minutes on the guitar, okay? And all this time, the weeks I've spent has been coming back from, because that was when we were in, in at the lake, yeah, yeah. right? When we were hiding away in the mountain. And then to record it and everything, I needed to do it here. So, so this is like the first thing I've written on a guitar because I'm just learning that. And then it's like, all right, that's terrible. Uh, so let me add in the piano. And then, of course, the melodica makes an, uh, an appearance in there. Of, for those yeah. of you who don't know what a melodica is, Ward, please school them. It's like a flute piano. Like you basically, you put it up to your mouth and it's got keys on it, but you blow through it to make the sound. And it's like a poor man's sort of accordion sound. It literally looks like a toy that you buy at like a 1950s retro toy store. 
that's what it looks like. And it winds up in a laundry basket filled with like the Jack in the Box toy, you know, like Pop Goes the Weasel, like <laughs> yeah. that. Maybe a Rubik's Cube is in there too. That's what it looks like. Okay. So, yeah. so then you had to bring it back to the piano. And what delayed uh, so much of this was because the guitar is in there too, but I have it pretty turned down pretty oh, yeah. low. Yeah, it's down low. I'm going to have to listen to it again to hear the guitar. And you just kind of heard it through your phone speaker, right? Right, right. So that just stuff should be a little more present. But somebody who's bad at all of these instruments, not good at singing, and has the... That's not the, true. You are good at singing. Stop the false bullshit. I, I know you know this. I don't know if the listeners do that. But I was known for being a terrible singer for almost my whole adult life. But only because I started singing when I started playing the piano again. I learned how to tune my voice into what I was playing. So I only learned really how to match pitch. Like once I hit puberty, I could not sing for like 20 plus years. And it has been a very slow and painstaking process to even get to this place. So well, it's, that's not uh, false modesty. That's a lifetime of being made fun of. All right. You do have this voice that... Like you're, it's clearly like a character you're playing that it, it's the same voice. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a first cousin of the Hoosier Hysterics theme song. Well, no, I wanted this to be like coming off of the same album. Yeah, it's on the same album. It should have the same feel. Yeah. And I told you I was working on another version of the same song. There was just less jumping between the keys. It yeah. was, it was simpler. And in some ways I thought kind of like, quote unquote cooler but i couldn't get that to sound good it's not cooler <laughs> but this one i wanted to kind of have a little bit of that 60s oh, uh yeah, yeah, protesty yeah. campaign oh I, yeah you know Fol just folksy a little folk yeah, folksy song. that's yeah, the right it's got, yeah no it's dylan-esque there is yeah, no it's, doubt it's dylan-esque <laughs> i'm sure that's what everybody thought yeah yeah they're, they're like is this? jesus is, was this <laughs> yeah. this was on the b side of times they are a changing <laughs> Yeah, that guy couldn't sing either. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I do also in my head like the idea of you and I having a falling out during the campaign because like mm -hmm. we're, we're, you know, disagreeing on campaign strategy. And then I play this at a campaign stop. And like you hear like the Rolling Stones and all these artists that are mad when a certain campaign plays their songs, you're going to like throw a fit that I'm playing your song. I'm going to send you a, a cease and desist. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Well, listen, that song is going to go out, but I got to bring something up. Okay. You said there's a second version. I did. And we were going to let the, the, the listeners decide which version should be the campaign song. What okay. is the status of the second version? And by the way, this version, I don't know how you top that. It's hysterical. I love it, which may be not a good thing because the fans may hate it now. Right. I am worried now. I do love it because I just find it, I find the whole thing ridiculous. Yes. But what's the status of the second version? I, I had sort of had the one completed that you and the listeners just listened to. And I was like, cool. and pretty much ready for that to be it. And then I got real high one night and I played it a different way on the piano. And I was like, I think that's cooler. And I, I like, I think about the goons. Like, I really want yeah. the goons to like the song because yeah, yeah, yeah. they're cool music guys. Uh -huh. And I'm like, I think this is just like cooler. So I had the demo. I recorded it in my phone. And then I don't know what it's been like three weeks where I basically tried to give it the same treatment as what you just heard, which was like the demo's done that way. 
but then I have to go back, listen to the demo while I lay down the piano, and then listen to the piano while I lay down the guitar and the, the both of those while I'm the melodica and then the vocals on top of that. So you do the demo and then you do four separate tracks stacking them. And every time on the new version, I would stack two, three, four tracks and it just ended up sounding like dog shit. <laughs> so just the same words, same words and okay. same same structure as far as the chord changes go but there's less changes so it, it it's actually a little closer to the structure if you will of the theme song where it doesn't bounce around so much um but annie who's the only person who heard the other version she actually thought the the version you haven't heard was even further away from the original theme song and i was like okay well i'll 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 get this into shape and then we'll let the listeners decide they can vote between the yeah, two yeah. but i i just i don't know if i'm ever going to get that other version in a in a place where i will play it outside of this garage or even in this garage again it's Look, not that's good. up to you i think it would be fun to put out a different version and let the viewers and listeners and uh, fans decide but if this the one that we played today has to be our theme song. Then, goddamn it, we're gonna win that campaign because of this theme song, or we're go or we're gonna lose it because of this theme song. <laughs> Put it all on the song. Look, there is no doubt. Either song has to have a certain engine behind it, and that's because the theme song, like our campaign, like this podcast, is powered by. Pee. Vote for me for trustee. Yes. Don't forget to vote for me for trustee. Yes. Please vote for me for trustee. <laughs> nice. Uh, so that, there that you was go. That was true all the way through. Zoom nice. got all of that. And and like the Kenya Hunter technique, that's what we're going to call it, right? What is the Kenya Hunter technique? Like, didn't you throw in his name last oh, week? Oh, yeah, 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 I did. I did. Right. So, okay, we'll so call this, it the Kenya technique. Yeah, I like yeah, that. Because I, I think that if you can't, obviously you have an incredible vocal range. And if oh, Zoom yeah. is not going to accommodate that, there's other ways to pack stuff into the siren call there. Well done. Yeah. All right. Well, look. A momentous intro. I mean, who would have thunk that, what are we at, 19, 20 months after starting this, that you'd be mm -hmm. writing a theme song for the campaign? And again, we're 60 days away or so from this thing really launching, and we're going to need your help, Pigs listeners, Hysterics listeners. We're going to come to you. We've got some thoughts on how to make this thing a reality, and in the coming weeks, we're going to enlist your help. So... That that will include, you know, the old-fashioned bullhorns on top of the car as you drive around campus or yeah. your local precinct with the campaign song blaring. Do you think there's any way that we could get anybody who listens to us to sing this theme song? Like, they sing it, and then we cut a little music video together? Is there any way that we could get people to do that? Well, we if we could get... I'd say 10 even. Yeah. Because then they each have like a line yeah. Yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. 
I think that'd be great. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we top out at like two, <laughs> like two people are willing. Not to counting do it. our is that counting our families? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. But but we could open it up like if they want to have their cute kids do it, or they have a dog that can hit the right pitch. Whatever you got, we could we could definitely cut that together. There's so much that needs to happen with this. So let's get it out in the world. Please let us know what you think. We'll tweet it out. I'll tweet the, so- the, the uh, song out separately as well. Um, but that said, thanks for sticking with us through this intro. And it's worth it only because of the stud that we are talking to today. Uh, let's not lose sight of that. Uh, really excited to talk to him. So Ward, thank you for that song. And let's get to this. I forgot that I wanted to talk about something. So forgive me and indulge us for a second. But I don't want to say who told us these import, this important tidbit. But it felt like we should definitely address it. And that is the fact that, again, unnamed sources have confirmed us that today is Ward Roberts' birthday. Hey, you got me. And so in honor of that, happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Ward. Happy birthday to you happy birthday i totally forgot because we were recording this on august 31st but we released it on september 1st it is ward's birthday so buddy happy birthday well thank you buddy um and i would be remiss if i didn't mention that between now and our next episode airing that it's your birthday in three days time so Oh God! Happy birthday to you. You know what I really should do is I should record it with the piano and insert it right here. Uh, and we're back from my insertion of doing that. There we go. What are you? Uh, you doing anything special on the birthday? Uh, the wife asked me today. She goes, "What do you want to do for your birthday?" And I said, "Survive." Yeah, that's it. Are you going to get a? You should get a COVID test just so you can get the results as negative is like, that's your birthday gift, a negative result on COVID. Hooray. No, I'll probably just go to the weed store and buy some good new weed. That's probably, that'll be my birthday. Boom. A happy birthday. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, boy, do we have a gem for you today. Uh, this is a gentleman we've been told by the one and only Mike Roberts boss about how cool this gentleman is. And we've been dying to have this opportunity. Eric, why don't you just list out a few of the facts and details of this man's career to let people start to understand how cool he is? Yeah, let's use the word legend because that's what we're talking to. That's who we're talking to. And when I read off these accomplishments, you'll start to see that as well if you don't know already. And I'll be honest, I didn't have the full scope of it. I don't think Ward did. And now we do. And we are so happy to be talking to him. But we are talking to a gentleman who hails, who hails from the great city of Fort Wayne, Indiana, where he attended Fort Wayne South High School. All he did there was lead them to the 1958 state championship at a time when state championships in Indiana really meant something. He graduated as South's all-time leading scorer 
He was a parade All-American. He then went on, of course, to Indiana University, where at his time at Indiana, he became first team All-Big Ten in 1963. He finished his career as the sixth leading scorer in Indiana history. He is now 30th all-time in scoring. He's the 10th quickest to 1,000 points in Indiana history. He has the 25th best scoring season in Big Ten his, in Indiana's Big Ten history with 332 points. He is one of only 26 Hoosiers to ever average 20 points in a game. He has the 12th best scoring average of all time for a career, 18 points a game. By the way, ahead of Scott May and Alan Henderson, for those of you who think that Indiana basketball just started in about 1975. He has the ninth best all-time average in a season in conference at 23.7 points, also better than Scott May, Mike Woodson, Jay Edwards, Steve Alford, Walt Bellamy. He led the team in field goal percentage his last two years. He was again named all Big Ten. He was named to the IHSAA Silver Anniversary Team in 1984, the IHSAA Hall of Fame inductee in 1992. He was inducted into the Indiana University Hall of Fame in 1998. He was drafted by the Chicago Zephyrs of the NBA. He returned to Indiana to become an assistant coach for head coach Lou Watson from 65 to 71. Ladies and gentlemen, we are talking to one of the best players that ever wore the cream and crimson. And I hope I get the pronunciation of his name, last name correctly. We're talking to Tom Bulliard. I nailed it. I nailed the last name. You nailed it, but I tell you, you did the intro just like I wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> you did a good job. So, Tom, when you hear, before we get into your story, when you hear all of that that I just listed out, is there one or two things that stick out to you as the thing you are most proud of or the thing you remember back the most fondly on? Well, I, I think the state championship would be one. Two would be playing for Indiana University. Uh, the rest of the stuff just happens because you play the game. But those two things are, are outstanding. Mm. So wow. bef before we get into your uh, past, can you just tell Hoosier fans, where are you these days? What's keeping you busy? How you doing? How you doing in this world of coronavirus and COVID? Just give us an update on where things are with you and in your life these days. Well, I'm in Bloomington, Indiana. Uh, as you mentioned, I, uh, I was assistant coach here for six years. I worked for the university for 40 years, retired in 06. So Bloomington has become my home, and, uh, which is great because I'm close to the university. I'm close to the athletic program. So, so that's where I'm at right now. I, I try to keep busy. I play a little golf. Uh, I have a little hobby of, of, of uh, dealing, not dealing, but monkeying around with cars. Mm -hmm. uh, and I talked to Mike Roberts across the street once in a while. All right. <laughs> there we go. Uh, but as you reported before we started recording, your, your buddy neighbor, Mike Roberts, is real busy now that uh, basketball's back on. Is that, is that just a special bond you can have with any former IU player? The former players, all of us have a pretty close bond. Um, I had the opportunity when I quit coaching to work with the Alumni Association. Of course, you meet a lot of alumni, but 
I also had a assignment with the athletic department to work with former athletes. So I got to know our former players and, and yeah, there's a great bond uh, with former players. So we also understand that you have another hobby. I've been told that if something is popping off in that neighborhood that does not look right, Tom Bolliard's going to make sure that the, if there's somebody in that neighborhood that shouldn't be, you're going to get out there and make sure they shouldn't be there. I don't think that's true. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, uh, I've only lived here uh, going on four years. So, so I'm a, I'm a rookie in the neighborhood. So to speak. <laughs> All right. You were one of the smart ones that once you got to Bloomington, you left for a little bit and then you said, no, no, that's the best place in the world. I'm going to stay there uh, for, for my adult life. We're all jealous of that, but you did start uh, in Fort Wayne. And so we want to, we want to go back to, to the early days. What point did the game of basketball really enter into your life as it does for so many young people in Indiana? When did you become aware of the game, start playing the game and, and starting to love the game? Well, I, I started playing in, in the neighborhood. Uh, you know, we all lived fairly close together. And, uh, you know, we start pick up games, you know, just, just playing every day. We'd play during the winter, put gloves on, bounce the ball in the snow. Uh, yeah, yeah, and it was fun. I mean, it was a, uh, a, like a community of, of guys that just having fun, boys having fun. And, uh, you know, that was my introduction to basketball. And then, of course, when I went to high school, I got some, some really, really good coaching, great teammates, and uh, the team had great success. You're starting to play with your friends in the neighborhood. How much does the, the legacy, the fame, the success of what Coach McCracken has been doing down uh, in Bloomington basically your whole life, how much, how much does that get up to Fort Wayne? And is it a big deal? And, and did you, were you an IU fan as a kid? Well, uh, it's really kind of interesting. Fort Wayne was a big IU town. Uh, now it's probably half Purdue, Ugh. half Indiana, but back then it was strictly Indiana. You know, all the doctors, all the dentists, they were, Indiana people. Most of the attorneys were Indiana people. So Indiana was, was big in Fort Wayne. And uh, when the recruiting process started, of course, Indiana was at the doorstep. So um, yeah, I mean, it was big. Now, you're being way too humble by saying you had great teammates and stuff in, in high school. Of course you did. But you were one of those great teammates and maybe the greatest of the teammates. When did you realize basketball was more than just having fun with the guys in the neighborhood and that you could work this into like a basketball scholarship? You know, back then, I don't think scholarship ever came into my mind. It was more playing the game trying to play it like it was supposed to be played and having fun. Um, I don't think I ever played it with the idea I may get a scholarship. I, you know, and then again, we're looking 60 years ago. Right. So times have really changed. Sure. But one thing that, that, was, that hasn't changed is that winning is important. And winning in the state of Indiana is everything. And winning the state championship in Indiana is 
beyond everything. So what do you remember from your time in high school and your march to the state championship in 1958? Well, uh, we had a good basketball team. Uh, across the front line, we were 6'4", myself. Dan Howe was 6'5". Mike McCoy was 7'1". So we had no problems uh, controlling the backboard. We had two guards, Stavretti and Miller, who were outstanding. I mean, they were really good. Rich was left-handed. And, uh, you know, we just kind of meshed together. Uh, you know, we kind of grew up together. I was probably the outside person of the group. I went to a different junior high than, than what they did. But uh, it became a really, really close team. In fact, we're really close right now. Uh, we get together quite a bit. We talk all the time. So um, it was really a team concept. Mm. And growing up playing basketball, I know you said Indiana was a big deal and Fort Wayne was a, a Indiana town. You know, Ward and I grew up in the shadow of Bobby Knight, that Bobby Knight was everything that basketball was at Indiana. You grew up in a time where Branch McCracken was Indiana basketball. What can you tell us about what you remember Branch McCracken being when you were a kid? Was he a, a, an idol like Bobby Knight was to so many young kids growing up in the 70s and 80s? Uh, I don't think there's any question about that. Mac was, you know, if you didn't know Mac, I mean, he was 6'4", 6'5", white-haired, uh, very large. And when he walked in, he actually commanded the room. I mean, he was unbelievable. Uh, a little quick story. Uh, uh, here in Bloomington, it's, it's a fairly small town. Mac would get up about eh, 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning. He'd start walking downtown. And he'd stop at every coffee shop and have a conversation with the local community, huh. which nowadays is, I mean, you just don't do. But it was unbelievable. Mac uh, Branch McCracken was unbelievable. I'd like to get in because you mentioned the recruiting. That's a whole different world today than it was back then. But was it was it actually Branch or one of his assistants that reached out to you? Would they come up and see you at, at games? Or could they just see the box score and the state title and be like, oh, we need this guy? No, uh, Mac came to the house. Uh, Mac did a fantastic job with my my parents, my mother and dad just fell in love with Branch McCracken. Uh, I did not even know who the assistants were. I mean, Mac's the one that came to the house. And, and uh, of course, when I made my visit to Bloomington, Mac was the one that, uh, that showed me around and talked to me and so forth. So uh, Mac did most of that himself. Was there any other school you were considering besides Indiana? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, let's hear. We got to hear. Oh, yeah. Who else? Um, and how much money did they offer you? <laughs> well, I, we, we'll get into that a little bit later. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, I visited uh, Purdue, of course. Oh, Michigan, Michigan State, Northwestern, Kentucky, oh, boy. Cincinnati, and West Virginia. Mm. Those are the schools that I, I, I paid a visit to. Uh, and each of them had a special interest to me. Uh, West Virginia, Freddie Schaus was the head coach, and Fred played for the Downer Pistons in Fort Wayne. 
and I got to know him when he was a player in Fort Wayne. Huh. So I had a tie there. Uh, Kentucky, you know, Kentucky's Kentucky. I mean, when, when they're after you, they're after you. Uh, mm -hmm. Michigan State, my high school coach, really wanted me to go to Michigan State. I had a very good friend that played for uh, Michigan. So I had ties to the schools that I visited. Well, we got to get, I got to ask about Kentucky because obviously we hate them more than anything. <laughs> but back then, I mean, they were more hateable because Adolf Rupp was patrolling the sidelines uh, at, at Kentucky. What, and we've heard some stories about Adolf Rupp and his recruiting techniques. So tell us about meeting, I assume you met Adolf Rupp during that recruitment. What, what was your memory, what is your memory of him? Well, Adolf came to my house. Oh, wow. And, and he never did that very often is what I've been told. But um, on my visit to Kentucky, uh, fly down on a private plane. God. The first place they took me was Calumet Farms. Okay. Before I even got on campus. Went to Adolph's office and uh, I was amazed. No basketball pictures. Really? The pictures were of his cattle, his prize cattle. <laughs> and it, I mean, I mean, it was completely different. Yeah. yeah. No, Adolph was nice. I mean, I enjoyed, I enjoyed my visit. Did Did they take you by a car dealership as well to, to show you? No, no, you didn't get any of that. No, no, <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't go by a dealership. So what made you? I mean, you have your pick of incredible schools. Like, I mean, you you mentioned just incredible universities to go to. Was it the pull of being a home state kid that brought you to Indiana, or what was the final decision point for you to to come to? Well, I yeah, I think there were two. One. Uh, Coach McCracken, to the type of basketball that Indiana played, and probably on the back burner was my mom and dad. Mm. They they were Indiana fans. Uh they liked Branch. They liked Branch very much. Got it. And, very much. And why maybe it wasn't as close as I, Michigan school, uh, even Purdue. It was still. Uh, a drive that they could make, I assume, part of that plays into it, that your family could see you play well, sometimes? Yeah, they, they can make the drive. But, you know, Michigan State and Michigan and Purdue were actually closer than Bloomington in those days. Right. Uh, but my, my dad worked on the railroad. He's an engineer for the Pennsylvania Railroad. And he couldn't come to many games. Uh, I would say in my career, if he saw – a fourth of my game, I'd be surprised. Mm, wow. So, I mean, that wasn't a – back then, that wasn't a major deal. My dad and mother never saw a practice, never talked to the high school coach. So, it was a lot different back then than it is now. Sure. Yeah, much much simpler, I'm sure. You you didn't have to – Oh, yeah. You didn't have to post on Twitter who your top five schools were before <laughs> you made a decision. Oh, no, no. <laughs> I wouldn't have done that anyway because I don't know how to use Twitter. Yeah. Hey, did a great job with Zoom today. Yeah. Truly. Well, well that was more luck than sense. <laughs> <laughs> I, I talked to my brother uh, this afternoon, and he kind of gave me a hint on how to do it. So I went ahead and it, it worked out. You nailed it. Yeah. You nailed it. It's perfect. But before we move on from your high school career, because 
obviously you have these accolades you're all american as a junior you won a state championship in indiana single class basketball and still in the wake of Milan, and and you've got such you know greats as oscar robertson doing it around you but your senior year i'd read you didn't really expect your team to be as good that year but you ended up being very good and you got all the way to semi-state and then you played this team from Kokomo and, and there was somebody on that team who ended up being a big part of your life in the very near future. And then just the way that whole game played out, I really would love to hear your perspective on that. <laughs> well, uh, a little bit back on the team, uh, I broke my hand uh, preseason. Okay. So the first half of the season, I, I played with a, with a soft cast. Uh, but I remember I used to do locker duty in the hallways, like study table, but, you know, sit out there. And, and, and the, the coach came by and he said, Tom, we're not going to be very good this year. We're not going to be near as good. And I looked at him and I said, who's going to beat us? And he didn't have an answer. <laughs> and we, we wound up being a very, very good basketball team. Uh, we lost to Kokomo, 92 to 90. Oh. Uh, Jimmy Rail, my first introduction to Jim, uh, hit a shot from 10-second line to beat us. Mm. Uh, but, but that, yeah, we had a great year, yes. And we actually should have won the ball game. You know, of course, should have, should have, should have. Uh, but Jim and I uh, went on to uh, connect on some recruiting trips together. And we both went to Indiana. And Jim became like a brother to me. Mm. Uh, we, uh, yeah, we just did everything together. And, uh, and Jim, you know, as, as you know, and uh, probably we're going to talk about later. Jim was a fantastic shooter. Mm -hmm. I mean, one of maybe the most prolific scorer, you know, in the history of Indiana. I mean, the games that he put up, and I definitely, when we get into your, your years, we're going to get into those games because you were right alongside of him. But, but, but when he buried that last second shot against you guys from, from half court, was it tied or were you guys it was up? It was okay. It was tied. And then just pandemonium, tight. right? Like people were throwing folding chairs. The place went bizarre. Uh, no, no, but yeah, but you know, high, hindsight, uh, uh, we didn't know much about Kokomo. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, back then, I mean, you, I'm sure they they had someone scout Kokomo, but we just didn't know much about Kokomo. Uh, we didn't know Jimmy could shoot that. Didn't know he had that range. Ooh. He had tremendous range, and um, if we had known more, I think we could have done some defensively to to maybe slow him down a little. The shot. Yeah. <laughs> so you you moved from Fort Wayne to Indiana for your freshman year, and as a reminder to everybody listening, these are in the days where freshmen were not allowed to play varsity basketball. But you're living on your own in Bloomington. What do you remember about just? living on your own in Bloomington. I mean, it is an incredible place. How, how, how did you adjust? Well, it was easy to adjust. Um, 
I lived uh, at the uh, SAE fraternity house mm -hmm. as a freshman and uh, as a sophomore, Tom Van, er Tom Van Ersdale and Dick Van Ersdale joined us. Uh, John McLaughlin joined us. Dave Porter joined us. So we had actually five players living in the house. So the adjustment became easy because, you know, we were all close. We did everything together. Uh, so it, it was an easy adjustment for me. Uh, I wasn't a great student coming into college, uh, but if it hadn't been for the fraternity, I would have had a, a lot of problems academically. They just, you know, some young people may be listening to this. Uh, they required when you weren't in campus to be in the library studying. Hmm. And they checked on you. Hmm. Wow. And I tell you, looking back, and I wound up making really good grades. I look back, and I never had to study at night. I never had to study for a final because I spent my free time in the library studying. And it was really, really an asset. Hmm. Well, you get to Indiana, and even though you're not playing varsity, you're, you are in the basketball program. You're now, you know, getting to see the program from the inside. And I just have to ask right off the bat, one of the greatest players ever in college basketball, Walt Bellamy, is the star of the Indiana University program. We haven't been able to talk to too many people that, that played with Walt or, or got to see him up close. Tell us about Walt Bellamy and tell the fans what he was like, both on the court and off. Well, I, I, I played with Walter one year yep. mm -hmm. varsity, and uh, it was a treat. Uh, Walter struggled that year. That's the year he came back from the Olympics, and he was actually kind of burned out because mm. uh, they went through the Olympics, the games, and all the, the practice they do. And he came back, and, and he struggled some offensively, uh, defensively, there's no problem. Rebounding, there no problem. I'll tell you a great story when I get through with this. Yeah. But uh, uh, Walter became a actually a lifelong friend. Uh, I was his friend until he passed away a couple of years ago. Uh, he had come to Bloomington. We'd get together. Uh, we'd go out to dinner. Uh, Walter was a true gentleman. Uh, when he came to Indiana University, I would say his basketball skill was about a five on a 10. When he left, it was a 10 on a 10. And uh, as credit to Walter for the work he put in to become as, as good as he was. Mm. And, and when you see that kind of development in the, in the couple of years you're there with him, you know, freshman year not playing, sophomore year sure. playing, um, did you, did you see a lot of, of hands-on development by, by coach McCracken? Oh yeah. Yeah. Especially in you know, rebounding and, and, and shooting and the number one free throw shooting. I tell you this, when he came, he couldn't hit the backboard along the rim. <laughs> and, uh, and coach Watson would spend hours mm -hmm. with him at the free throw line, getting him to shoot free throws the way they wanted to shoot him. And he wound up being pretty decent. Yeah. So you said you had a funny story about Walt. 
I'll tell you guys this. Uh, last game of the year. Oh, you're skipping to the last game already. The last game of Walmart. Yeah, sure. And I'm playing together. Uh, and we're sitting, and my locker is next to Walter's, and we're sitting there getting ready for the game, and and a uh, very, very good friend of mine, uh, one, in fact, I wound up working for this guy, had a car dealership in town. And uh, he comes in, not everyone got into the dressing room, but but this gentleman did. And he, he said, Walter, if you set a new rebound record, you can have that car out there. <laughs> you, you know how many rebounds he got that night? I do. 32. No, 30, I think it's 33. 33? I think it's, well, in the stat book, it's 33. So even if it was okay, 32, they gave him credit for an extra one. 33. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now they continue with the story. When Coach from Kraken found that out, <laughs> Waller didn't get oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so good. Well, I, I tell you, during that game, I could not get a rebound. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he, he would push me out of the way. He could not do it. The best well, part of the story is the next day, Branch McCracken was driving around town in a new car. <laughs> no, no, no. But no, you know, I wanted to get no, a, a little no. bit more of your and, – and the way you said he pushed you around and you couldn't get a rebound because I haven't been able to find that much gameplay footage of Walt in his Indiana days. But the little I have, he just seems – even at the highest level of division one basketball was his just size and athleticism and his build. Was he just on another level? Even at, even at that stage? I, I, I think his biggest asset in college was his rebounding and his speed speed. Now there's games where of course we run the fast break all, all the time. He had come down the side of the court. I tell you, I mean, he was flying. Mm -hmm. Throw the ball up here. He'd take that thing and dunk it. I mean, unbelievable. And I, I really think his speed and his rebounding were the greatest assets in college. Now, Tom, just to back up for a second, because I want to hit this point. You said that part of the reason you chose Indiana was the playing style. Now, we've talked to yeah. a few people, and we've brought it up, the Hurin Hoosiers that Branch McCracken employed, which was a very different style of basketball. Is that what it was for you, this kind of open, fast-paced, you know, focusing on offense style? Was that what, what, what drew you? Well, I, yes, yes. Uh, I don't think there's any question. Uh, I was more the upbeat, tempo-type yeah. player than the uh, set offense where you dribble and pick and, and 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 take two minutes to take one shot uh i was more up and down the court and and uh, it, it, it was more fun to play really sure yeah. for me for me now by the way you talked about the last game of the year i want to talk about the first game of the year because it was your first game playing for indiana most look i know you're a sophomore but you're a freshman when it comes to varsity it's your first year it takes most people some time to get going not Tom. Do you remember what you scored in your first game? Uh, I'm guessing 14. You nailed it. 14. And then do you remember yeah. you played Notre Dame in a big game where you beat Notre Dame in a big game for a bunch of reasons? you know how many points you scored in that game? No, I don't. 18 points. But do you remember why that game was so important? It was in Fort Wayne. I know that. It was. 
It was a neutral site game against a good Notre Dame team. It was Branch McCracken's 300th win at Indiana University. And it happened to be on the day of his 29th anniversary, wedding anniversary. So you nailed it. <laughs> so you, Pro- you probably, you're, you're talking about the, the, the early when I was at Southmore. Yes. Probably the second game was we played Detroit. Detroit was rated number one in the country. Mm. We were rated number two in the country. And we played Dave DeBusher. Mm. How good was Dave? DeBusher. Oh, I got stories about DeBusher you wouldn't believe. Let's hear one. Because we, we became good friends afterwards. Oh, nice. But, yeah. But anyway, I wound up having to guard DeBusher. Oh. I don't know where Bellamy was. <laughs> uh, but, but it was, I think I had 21 that night. Uh, and Busher must have had 30 or more. I don't know. But uh, we played at Detroit, full house, and the students sit on the floor around the court beating on garbage can lids. <laughs> it was so loud you can't even hear yourself. Think. It was unbelievable. And that was my second game. Oh, wow. If you can let us, I'm assuming in the starting lineup, were you starting at that point already? Uh, I started the second game and every game after that. I didn't start the first game. And and was Jimmy starting with you at that point as well? Uh, no, Jimmy didn't play much as a son. Oh, okay. Okay. So it was. He played some, but not, not a great deal. Uh, so uh, you and Walt and who else uh, was the, the starting five that year? Uh, Charlie Hall. Okay. Uh, Gary Long. And Jerry Bass. Got it. Yeah. And and after such a good season, your freshman year, obviously, when you didn't get to play, but you guys came into the season very highly ranked. Was there any kind of pressure uh, for better or worse you were feeling as that season got rolling with all these high expectations? Uh, to, to, to tell you the truth, back then, I, got, uh, I was so young, I didn't know what pressure was. <laughs> I mean, uh, no, my, I, I didn't, even, didn't even think about that. I said back then we just played, you know, I mean, I mean, pressure was, no, not, not really. So the big team in the conference besides Indiana, because Indiana is always the big team, especially according to us, but Ohio State, Ohio State had a national championship team. They were number one in the conference, a lot of attention paid to Ohio State. And they also had a young kid on the team by the name of Robert Montgomery Knight. Do you have any memory of playing, and I know he wasn't a starter or a star, but do you have any memory of playing against Bob Knight? Uh, let me give you a little story. Yes. <laughs> you're you're going to like me. I got more days. <laughs> oh, we already that, like That's when, what we're here for. Yeah, when, when, when I was at the Alumni Association, I was in charge of regional alumni clubs. So I take Knight to Chicago for an alumni meeting. Uh, it was at the Palmer House. We have, uh, I'd say, four to 500 people. And uh, it was a time period where he was really touchy on how he was introduced and who introduced him. Mm-hmm. And we fly him up, and I get him up to the banquet hall, and he said, who's going to introduce me? I said, I will introduce you at lunch. So I get up. And he's writing his speech. 
so to speak. I mean, he, I mean he, <laughs> anyway, I gave the university spiel and I said, uh, okay, I, I need to introduce a speaker. I said, anybody in here ever played against Coach Knight? I said, if you did, stand up. No one stood up. I said, well, I did. <laughs> I said, I always prided myself that the best defensive player would guard me. I said, Knight never guarded me. <laughs> I said, I, I said, Habachek did. I said, I prided myself. <laughs> well, and, anyway, and, and I said, I, I pride myself that the best defensive player on the other team would guard me, and I would guard the best offensive player on the other team. I said, I never guard night. I <laughs> have a show. He took his speech, took, ripped it in two, never picked it up, got up, grabbed the mic from me, and I tell you this, I paid for it. <laughs> he ripped me up one side and down the other. He had more fun with me. I mean, it was hilarious. Oh. Uh, yes, I remember night. Uh, not much. <laughs> But yeah, I, I do remember playing against him. Just to skip ahead to that stuff, because clearly, you know, you, you preceded him on the coaching staff when you were with Coach Watson and then, and then Coach Knight came in. And then you, the work you did with the Alumni Association. Did you build a relationship with Coach Knight over the years? Oh, very close. Uh, of course, when Lou Watson resigned, I was on the staff. So, so when Knight was hired, I, I have a meeting with, with Coach Knight. And, uh, you know, I said, you know, I'd like to stay. He said, Tom, nothing against you, but I'm going to uh, work with people that I've worked with before and people that I know. And that was fine. But we sat there for an hour, talked about the players we had, the players who were trying to recruit and so forth. And then when a couple months later, I took the job at the alumni office and uh, he calls me on the phone and he says, uh, Tom, congratulations. He said, I will do anything you want me to do for the university and the alumni, but never send me on a dead run. I said, fine. And he never, ever turned me down on anything I asked him to do for, for the university. Wow, that's very cool. Very, very oh yeah. I mean, I mean, he was, and and I could give you stories on night that you wouldn't believe. Well, when they come to your head, just share them. No, in fact, we need a whole another program for those stories. Well, no, wait a minute, wait. A minute. You can't say something like that and not give us one. You already gave us one good one about the speech, which is a great one. But give us another one. Come on, we can't get okay. enough of this stuff. Okay. The first time I took him out to speak, I took him to uh, Logansport, Indiana. Had a full house. It was, it was a good banquet. I mean, he did fantastic. I bring him back to Assembly Hall, and uh, he said, now, Tom, he said, anytime you want to come to practice, come to practice. Just call me or call, call Marianne and tell her, tell her you want to come to practice, and no problem. And I said, Coach, I'm not going to come to practice until I see if you're any good or not. <laughs> He took that car door and slammed it so hard, I thought I was going to turn the car over. I mean, he was boiling. 
so good. I'm sure Eric thought the same thing when you were describing the presence of Branch McCracken, the way he could walk in and command a room. How would you compare that with the way Coach Knight would enter and command a room? Same, same. Hmm. I mean, Coach Knight and Coach McCracken were so much alike in a lot of ways. And when I say a lot of ways, not in their philosophy of how to play the game of basketball, right. because the game was beginning to change uh, when, in fact, Knight changed the game. Uh, but the, what he demanded of his players, how he treated his players, it was very, very similar. I tell you, I could not miss a class. Mm-hmm. If I did, coach would know it. And Knight was the same way. Number one, he wanted his kids to get an education. Right. So I want to go back to Ohio State, your sophomore year, because there's a game that I read about where Ohio State had had a really good team. Obviously, Havlicek is one of the best players in the country. And they were number one in the country. And you played them. And they had been hearing a lot about how Indiana was coming. Indiana was coming. And they really ran up the score on you guys in this game and really beat you by a wide margin. And at the end of the game, uh, I think that Indiana really took and branch took real exception to that. Do you remember that? Very well. So give us your perspective (laughs) on that. And how did that fuel you going forward? Well, what Fred Taylor didn't realize that Tom and, Dick Van Arsdale was sitting right behind the bench. Mm. And that was, I mean, it was a motivator to those two guys. And then we stepped up and being good my senior year. Yeah. Uh, at, at Bloomington. But we get down, yeah, they beat us good. No, no question. But we get down with about uh, two minutes to go, a minute to go. Anyway, he, Fred Taylor took, his players out one at a time. Mm. One, you know, he'd take one out, then they'd play so many seconds and took another one out. Well, when he took took a player out, hell, we'd go over and sit on the bench because the goddamn applause took forever. <laughs> I mean, they just they they were just crazy. And, and I never forget the twins. They're right behind, and they looked at me, and I looked at them, and they just shook their head. And I knew planted the seed. So, so it, it, you know, what goes around comes around. Well, now something really interesting about your junior year that I don't know if you realized when you were in the middle of it, but it's a very big turning point for Indiana as a program because Indiana up until that point, for the better part of a decade, maybe even more, was known as the team that had these incredible centers from Don Schlant to Archie Dees to Walt Bellamy. And now Walt is gone and there is no star center on the team and the team is really handed over to you and Jimmy rail and Jerry Bass for your junior year. And you guys take her and Hoosiers to a new level. I mean, you guys are running like crazy. What do you remember about that transition with, did that even occur to you guys at that time that the team was changing? Well, yeah, it was changing. No, no question. And, uh, and I would, as looking at the thinking back of uh, the players we had, uh, I mean, we were short talent wise. Uh, you're talking about my junior year. Yeah, now year, your right? junior year, yep. 
Yeah, yeah, we were a little short, uh, and we were definitely up and down. Uh, probably down more than up, if I remember <laughs> right. <laughs> but you know, we lost some big games, and we won some you did. pretty good games. Mm-hmm. But but uh, what did we win? Nine in the Big Ten, I'm guessing. Six in the Big Ten. You went Ten. seven and seven uh, in the Big Ten. Yeah, seven and seven. But yeah, but you did it, beat you beat North Carolina. You know, you beat North Carolina in Greensboro, a team with Dean Smith on the team, by the way, where you scored 22 points in that game and two huge field goals at the end of the game to win that game. I mean, you guys had some big wins, and your team is scoring 87 points a game. I mean, you guys could fill it up. Yes. It had to be fun. Yeah, but that's that's Coach McCracken's philosophy. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, before game, He'd come in and, and he'd say, okay, Red Ball, I need five shots from you today. Tom and Dick, no more than 12. <laughs> Tom and Jim, you got a green light. But we have to shoot it 80 times. Wow. That was his philosophy. And they don't, they don't do that. You shoot 80 times and hit 40% and count your free throws, you're going to win most games. Right. And uh, he was – Brantz was big on offense, not as big on defense, but he <laughs> won the ball up on the backboard. And, uh, and he, I mean, it, if you couldn't shoot, he was going to tell you not to shoot. Right. <laughs> and, you know, you know, there's some coaches that won't tell a kid not to shoot. I know. And, you know, if you can't shoot, don't shoot. You can do something else. You can pass, you can play defense, you can rebound. Uh, but, yeah, uh, yeah, we, we filled it up. Uh, we filled it up senior year, too. Yes, you did. You're going to go to senior year yet? <laughs> Not, yeah, we're going to get there. But I got to ask you, before we get to – Well, I, I got a good story for oh, you. Oh, tell us. To, tell us. Go ahead. Relates to this. We play senior year. We play Illinois. At Illinois. I think we could beat uh, 103 to 101. Yeah. They come to Bloomington. We beat them uh, 105 to 104 or something like 103. Yeah. You may have. Uh, Dave Downing, who was a very, very good player for Illinois, who became – I became friends with, with Dave. I mean, we were on a recruiting crypt. We stayed in touch. I get a call from a uh, Champagne uh, sports writer. He said, I'm doing a book on Dave Downing. He said, tell me about this 53 points he scored against you guys at Indiana. I said, well, we won the game. <laughs> he said, I know you won the game, but tell me about Dave. Tell him his – so I, I said, one, no one could guard him. I mean, we tried zone, we tried man-to-man, and, and so forth. And then after about 15 minutes, he said, oh, thanks for the information. I said, wait a minute. You didn't ask me about defense. <laughs> <laughs> and, the guy, and, the, and, the, and the guy said, well, what can you tell me about defense? I said, we didn't have time to play defense. <laughs> That's great. There it is. By the way, you you skimmed over that game at Illinois that you lost, you know, by by the slimmest of margins. You scored 35 points in that game. Yeah. You yeah. went off. You know why? What, you know why? Why is that? Senior, I played center. Wow. Oh, wow. And at 6'4". Yeah. Wow. Of course, we, I mean, we had the two vans at forward, and I played center. Well, I lined up there, but I didn't play center. Mm. 
I played all over the place. And they had a big guy by the name of Burwell, their center. As soon as I got the ball, I went right to the corner and then went around him. <laughs> and he couldn't guard me. Yeah. It was impossible. And uh, it, it was an easy 35 points. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I, you go I first to junior year because I got one too on junior year. Yeah, I believe it was junior year where there was a pretty incredible game against Minnesota yes. where your former uh, opponent from Kokomo, Jimmy Rail, was now on your team and pulled out some similar theatrics in his own high-scoring affair. What can you tell us about that incredible Minnesota game where he had a couple of huge shots? Well, he only scored 56. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, it was unbelievable. Was, was that the overtime yes. game? Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, and when we talk about Jimmy, uh, uh, he could miss 10 in a row and then he could hit 10 in a row. Mm -hmm. And back when I played, of course, a three point shot won there, and teams were not accustomed to people shooting at that distance. And he'd cross the 10 second line, they wouldn't be guarding him. Boom, <laughs> two points. Uh, he could really, really fill it up. Uh, I, I get the question a lot. You know, with the three-point shot, how many more points would he have scored? I think the way the game's played today have been about the same because mm -hmm. the defense is going to adjust. And when he crosses the 10-second line, they're going to be guarding. Right. Uh, but I mean, what? A, I mean, it, it was a great basketball game. I mean, unbelievable, really. So he scores fifty-six in that game, including the twenty-footer to win the game. But, but, but he, take, was, he he also hit like a, a twenty-five-footer to send it into overtime, right? He essentially had two buzzer beaters. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> did, but he did take forty shots in that game, basically, not counting free throws. He, I think, he went twenty of thirty-nine. Did you ever think at a timeout going, "Hey, Jimmy, can I get a shot here?" I mean, can can we can I get a shot? Or are you just Jimmy? Just keep shooting till you miss. Well, you know, I mean, when no, he missed some, yeah. as you said, right? Uh, and and those ones he missed, I put back in. So, <laughs> so, what, so I mean, no, I mean, he'll keep shooting it. Yeah. What, would you say I read somewhere where I think it was his own assessment that he thought it, had there been a three point line, he would have taken about sixty percent of his shots from that deep or deeper? Does that seem about right to you? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I, I mean, I mean, he didn't shoot in close at all. I mean, everything was downtown, so to speak. All right. So now let's get to your senior year, which I do want to just set a little context here for it, because the way the game has been is played now, and the way that people make the tournament, you know, where multiple teams—I mean, upwards of ten teams—can make it from a conference. Everybody, I think that that is younger, looks back on the days before that and think, well, if you didn't make the tournament, you weren't any good. Only one team who wins the outright championship in the conference is making the tournament. There are a bunch of really good Indiana teams, really good Indiana teams, better than many of the Indiana teams that made the tournament who didn't make the tournament because of what the rules were. And this your senior year is an example of a very good Indiana team. And you welcome the Van Arsdales. 
So we had the pleasure of interviewing Tom. He was on the show. We got a little, um, we got a little bit with uh, Dick as well. But tell us about the Van Arsdales and what it meant them coming into the team that year. Uh, well, <laughs> the Vans are great players. There's no question about that. Um, I was uh, involved with their, their recruiting somewhat, but they were easy to recruit because they wanted to come to Indiana from the word go. Uh, when they were uh, seniors in high school between coming to Indiana, within the state of Indiana, we had some summer basketball tournaments, which were pickup games basically, but very, very competitive. We played at some of the small towns around the state. And anyway, Coach McCracken calls me in his office. He said, Tom, uh, I want you to put a team together. And I want you to get Tom and Dick and, and John McLaughlin on the team and play summer basketball and don't let any other coaches talk to them. <laughs> so, so we put a team together. And I tell you, that summer we didn't lose one game. Wow. We won every turn. Every turn we entered – we won. They were that good. They were that good as seniors. And uh, when they got to the sophomore year and we start the year out, uh, we played probably the first five or six games. I mean, we were very good. And uh, I remember this as plain as day. We're playing Notre Dame at Fort Wayne. And uh, Coach McCracken comes up to my room and he says, uh, I need to talk to you. I said, what are you going on? You know, I thought I did something wrong. <laughs> he said, uh, I'm going to play you at center. I said, I don't want to play center. <laughs> he said, listen to me. <laughs> so he went through what he was thinking about, the two twins up front, which are a load, let me tell you something. Uh, I was playing the middle, and then we had Jimmy at one guard and Ren Ball at the other guard. He said, I think we can be pretty good. And he is right, because uh, now we had trouble guarding some of the bigger teams, but they couldn't guard us either. So uh, uh, the team, I think, if we could have got to the tournament, uh, we had a chance to do do some damage. Whether we could have won the whole thing or not, I mean, that's 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 a big big ask. But um, but we we were pretty good. You were you were sixty years ahead of the curve on playing small ball. That's pretty remarkable. Yeah. <laughs> well, we we had no we had no choice <laughs> because because uh, we didn't have a, a a big man that that could do what needed to be done. Right. In a team that has yourself and the vans on it, uh, one player we always like to to hear a little bit more about, especially not being able to have seen him play ourselves is. What kind of player was John McLaughlin? And when, when did he play much that year? Did he get much out there where you're all kind of a similar height, at least? What, what does that look like when he's out there with you in the Vans? Well, uh, John was a very, very good player. Uh, you know, he had a great career with, with Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, it's interesting that, that that team, my senior team, uh, and, and McLaughlin won a, a starter, but he played a lot. Five players off that team played pro basketball yeah, or, or signed contracts to play pro basketball. Uh, John was a big guard, uh, a pretty good shooter, a good defensive player. Uh, and John just got better and better and better. 
uh, as he played his junior and senior year. Yeah, that that's quite quite a legendary lineup. When you know you go to the Wikipedia page and see who all suited up, and and that proves out by beating a number four Illinois, and then of course on senior night, dreaded Ohio State comes in for an over overtime game, and you guys win it. You you beat you know, number three Ohio State. What? What was that like? What's the atmosphere like back in the day when the Hoosier faithful are there and you guys are going toe-to-toe with, with not only the best teams in the conference, but some of the best teams in the country? What, what was it like to be playing in front of the Hoosier faithful? Uh, it was wild. Yeah? <laughs> oh, yeah. It, it, it's definitely wild. The Ohio State game was, was wild. It was intense. They had uh, Brad's. And Brad was a, a very, very good player, played center. Uh, it was a wild game. Uh, it came down to overtime, and, uh, and we wound up uh, winning it, uh, knocked them out of the uh, tournament. I know. And not only uh, yeah, they, they, yeah, they finished, they finished second, and, and Illinois got first, and we got third. And this is your last game of your college career, which does – you know, call back to that, the, the game where the Vans are in the stands watching them, you know, watching them run up the score. And here you get sweet revenge in your last game. And from what I read, all hell almost breaks loose at the end of that game. Jimmy Rail gets the ball. Ohio State fouls him like a flagrant foul, really lays him out. And then do you remember this moment? Oh, yeah, very well. Oh, tell us. Tell us what happened there. Well, I, well yeah, you probably got more facts than I <laughs> No, do. your perspective well, is better. Well, well, I, I can't tell you all the details, but uh, it's centered around Brad's. Uh, uh, we had a little conversation at center court with, with Brad's, and, and Rail came in, and, and I had to get Rail out of there because he was hot. And Anyway, uh, you know, I mean, it's typical basketball. You know, he did the game. I mean, there was no physical contact at all. There, we, there was some reports that some fans got involved. Like some fans jumped out of the stands and came on to the, to the court to try to have Jimmy yeah. Rails back. Well, uh, if, if you've been to the old field house, which is now the new field house, old field house, uh, we had seats actually – around the court the court was raised up about uh, two feet and they were seats on the floor and people would put their elbows on the court <laughs> and 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 some of those people jumped up on the court mm. you know it, it is a good thing to follow up on i meant to say it your your sophomore year your sophomore year was the first year in at the time the new field house the new field. Right. House, it, yes. it just opened. Yeah. What was it like playing in that? Like at that time, was that building so much bigger and so much cooler than what had come before it? No. <laughs> not, not, not as cool. Oh, wow. The, uh, the old Willermuth, and you guys remember the Willermuth, uh, was nice. I mean, that, that was special yeah i mean the atmosphere was unbelievable uh you know the lights hanging down and i think people could smoke back then i mean the yeah. smoke up at the top of the haze i mean it, it was special 
Wow. That must be part of the reason the new field house didn't have that long of a run as the home right. of the Indiana Hoosiers. No, no, no. It, it was bent. It was built for a temporary. In fact, uh, assembly hall, when I went there as a freshman, they said assembly hall would be ready my senior year. Oh, really? Dirty. Tricksters. It wasn't ready until 71. Yeah. 72. That's what that's what they did with the theater building. When I went down there to scout it out, they're like, "Oh yeah, don't worry about this hundred year old theater building. You're gonna have a brand new one by the time you get yeah. here." Yeah. 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 Meanwhile, yeah. meanwhile, Ward's got asbestos poisoning. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Why are my lungs always itchy? <laughs> so your senior year, you beat Purdue twice, by the way, which has to feel good. You beat them twice. You beat Ohio State to end the year, and your Indiana University career is over has to be some bittersweetness to, to that you're you're moving on in your life but before we get to kind of what happens afterwards and how you return to bloomington we always like to ask people that spent time in bloomington and you've spent more time than the vast majority of us what their favorite things were outside of the world of basketball when they were there so for example did you have a favorite restaurant that was your go-to restaurant when you were a student at indiana well, uh, I mean, it's going to be Nick's. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I, I became a, a very, very good friend of the owner of Nick's. He since passed away, Dick Barnes. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, Nick's is, is the hangout, so to speak. Uh, yeah. You know, good food and cold beer. What could be better? <laughs> yeah, can't be. Um, was, was there a class that you took? that was the bane of your existence, a least favorite class? Least favorite? Yeah. Oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) That's going to be tough. (laughs) Uh, I I tell you, I probably had more trouble with psychology than any other class I had. And I don't know why, but, but I just had problems with that class. Before we leave um, your time playing for the legend, Branch McCracken, is there any other story that comes to mind, a funny story, a heartwarming story, anything that comes to mind when you think back on your time with Branch that would be good to share with us? Well, uh, Branch and I did a lot of things together. I mean, uh, you know, we recruited, we, we uh, went to dinner. We, I mean, we did a lot of stuff together, but uh, we did play some golf together. Mm. And, and the local golf course here, Cascades, mm-hmm. is where he played. So, so we teared up, and uh, he's a terrible golfer, by the way. <laughs> and, and about the second or third hole, I mean, he's duffing it around. He said, God damn it. This golf game just interrupts a good walk. (laughs) (laughs) That is perfect. That is perfect. And and I think it's, it's so much fun for us and the listeners to, to get those personal glimpses. And I do wonder about Jimmy rail being, you know, truly one of the all time great basketball players from the state of Indiana who went to IU. And I know, you guys became so close and, and we lost him quite recently. And I just wondered if there was something you'd like to share about, you know, the times you guys spent together on or off the court or just who he was as a person to help us all better understand 
this gentleman we know primarily as a great basketball player. Jimmy and I spent gobs of time together. Um, uh, we both like cars. We both like racing. Mm. We'd go to the 500 every year. We'd go to the Hoosier 100 every year. Uh, I could tell you 500 race stories that, that you may not believe, no one may believe. One quick one. Yes. We used to go to the cafeteria after the track would close, which was under the stands there by Gasoline Alley. And we got to know some drivers and we'd sit there and chat. And it was there one day after the track closed and, and one of the drivers said, well, where'd Jim go? And I said, if I had the bet, he's down at AJ Foyt's garage. And the driver said, no way he's going to get in Foyt's garage. I said, well, hell. So we walked down and here's rail sitting on the front wheel, sitting on the tire. <laughs> talking to Foy. And that guy said, I don't believe it. Uh, we used to call Johnny Rufford any time of the night. Rufford would take Rail's call. Rail would, and they would talk forever. Uh, anyway, we, I mean, those are a couple of hobbies. Uh, um, cars, Rail, I mean, he starts out with a Pontiac. He goes to a Corvette. He goes to another Corvette. Uh, I mean, some of the cars are on, but he goes to a Cobra, the actual Ooh. real Cobra that oh, Shelby yeah. made. Yes. Aluminum body. You get in that thing and you get on the front end comes up. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, I mean, we just had so much fun outside of basketball. We, we would play a game and uh, if the game was in the afternoon, you know, get over, you know, maybe four or five o'clock we'd get in the car and go to Indianapolis to the subway, not the subway sandwich place you're thinking about. <laughs> this is the subway by the hotel or Meridian that's down in the basement. And uh, if it was an afternoon game, they would be waiting on us to come in and then have a chocolate shake and the burger ready for us. Wow. I mean, I mean, we did so much together, went so many places. It'd take me forever to tell you all the stories. I was going to ask you, what's your favorite car? Do you have one that sticks out above the rest? Well, I just bought one. Let's hear it. I bought a Corvette. Oh, nice. What year? Uh, I want to tell you what year. What? You may come down and take it away from <laughs> uh, I, I, you know, when, when I retired... I got into the, the, the car business with the gentleman I told you about with, the, with Bellamy. I worked for him and, and I'm, I'd, I'd have, sometimes I'd have two cars a week. I buy myself a car. I bought a, a Avalon red, mm -hmm. nice car. Mm -hmm. I drive it home. My wife says, Hey, I'm not going to ride in a red car. Get that thing out of here. So next next day, I had to buy something else. But I'm I'm driving a Silverado truck right now, plus the Corvette. Wow! Uh, you you mentioned Branch being a terrible golfer, and and I know it's not his favorite sport. But have you been able to get Mike Roberts out on the golf course with you? And if so, how bad is he? Uh, he's so bad he won't play. <laughs> Very good. A great answer. All right. So your Indiana career is over and you are drafted 
into the NBA by the Chicago Zephyrs, correct? That's right. And then, and then do you sign with the Baltimore Bullets? Well, the Zephyrs transferred to Baltimore. Okay, got it. And they changed their name from Zephyrs oh, to the Bullets. To okay. Bulls. The Bulls. Uh, bullets. Uh, yeah, I, I, and that's an interesting story, too. I mean, that may be longer than we want to talk about, but to make it short, uh, I went up to meet with them. Their office was still in Chicago. And walk in, they said, we want to sign you today. I said, okay, I'm ready. Well, uh, what, what do you think about it? I said, I want a no-cut contract, $10,000. They said, uh, let's go to dinner. We went to dinner, and they sent me home. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I wind up signing the contract about three or four weeks later, plus a bonus. Now, I'm going to ask you two guys a question. I want an honest answer. Okay. What do you think the bonus was? So your base was 10000 Base ten thousand. The bonus was a thousand. That's what I'll guess. Ward, I'll go. I, I was thinking fifteen hundred. How about two hundred and fifty dollars? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know that the the, the the one thing we didn't know is we didn't know the ABA was coming in. Mm -hmm. If the ABA would have been in business, you know, then you'd have signed for twenty five, thirty, fifty thousand. But no one knew about the ABA. And, uh, hell, I, I, I made that much money my first teaching job. Right. Uh, and McCracken said, Tom, you want to be a coach? Go coach. And so that's what I did. And, and when, did you, when did you know you wanted to become a coach? Oh, uh, well, you know, you, you play this game for a lot of years and, and – um, to some people, it's an easy game. To me, it was an easy game. I mean, I knew man-to-man. -man, I knew the zones. I'm, I mean, it's, it's an easy game. Um, what makes it easy, if you outscore the other opponent, you win. And that was kind of McCracken's philosophy. And, I mean, you just kind of grew up with it, and I decided, you know, I kind of like to do it. So you come back to Bloomington, and – I well, – the I, I, I stayed at Bloomington and got a master's degree okay. and went to Fort Wayne for one year. Got it. I, I coached at Northside High School, and we were running up in the state that year. Wow. We got beat by – yeah, we got beat by Washington, by Jerry Oliver's team. Oh, wow. Before McGinnis. Yeah. Before McGinnis. Right. Uh, Billy Keller was on that team. And, and at the same time, that's when – when uh, Branch McCracken uh, quit coaching and, and Lou was the head coach and Lou called me and said, you want to come back? And I said, I don't think so. But then he called, you know, long story short, I wound up coming back and working for, for Lou for six years. And what was it like coaching at your alma mater? Was, this, was it a pretty special feeling for you? Oh, well, sure. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but but being an assistant coach and being the head coach, I think are completely different animals. Right. Uh, I think being the head coach, you would really feel the responsibility and, and, and the pressure. Or an assistant coach, you're kind of buffered 
suffered some. So there's a lot of questions we could ask about your six years, but I, I don't want to take up too much of your time. But I have to know, what was it like being an assistant coach when George McGinnis comes to town? With Steve Downing. Well, I got a lot of stories there, too. I can't tell those right now. It'll take too long. Uh, give us one. you got to give us a good McGinnis story. If, you gotta get, if you've got a good McGinnis story, we got to hear it. Okay, this is one. Uh, McGinnis uh, was always the first player on the court that, for practice. Mm-hmm. He was the last player to leave. Uh, he had come on the court, and he said, okay, coach, See if he can get the ball away from me. I I couldn't, and I wasn't that out of shape. <laughs> I could not get the ball away from him. He's so massive, right. so big, so strong. Uh, I, I mean, he was a man playing against boys, mm-hmm. so to speak. You know, he, George McGinnis is a peach of a guy. Really, really a good guy. And did you – do you still keep in touch with George at all? Uh, I was with George uh, – God, I don't know. Not too long ago, one of the sports writers wrote a book, and he had a book signing deal, and George and I were there together. Uh, George had some back problems. Right. He was walking with a cane. But he's had surgery since, and I guess he's getting along really good. Oh, good. That's now, great to I, hear. I have not – I am talking to him probably for a year. I'm curious if you've had a chance to see or run into Coach Knight since he returned to Bloomington in the last year. Uh, yes, 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 I have. Oh, that's I great. Have, I have talked to him. Uh, you know, I, you know, it, it was an okay meeting. I mean, but, uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's coach, difficult. coach has good days and, and days that aren't so good, so. What did it mean to you personally, and what do you think it means to the university and to the program that he came back last season for the game? Uh, I think it means a lot to the former players. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think it's a big, big deal because there were some former players that uh, kind of shut Indiana off. But since night has come back, and, and uh, talk to the team and so forth. Those players are now coming back into the fold, so to speak. Uh, I, I think it means a lot to the program. Uh, the players now and the players coming up, they don't remember Coach Knight. Most of them, I think all of them probably were born. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he was coaching, everything they know is hearsay. So uh, it means a lot to the alumni, to the donor base. Mm. Yeah, it, it's a big deal. So, Tom, you played for Branch McCracken. You played with Walt Bellamy, Van Arsdales, Jimmy Rail. You played against Dave DeBusher and John Havlicek. You coached George McGinnis. You, you, you were friends with Bobby Knight. What is your take on when you watch Indiana University basketball play today, and what's your take on Archie Miller? I, I look at the basketball, when I watch Indiana play, I look at it differently than I did when I was coaching or playing. You know, when you're a coach and a player, you watch things off the ball, you watch screens, you watch the shot, you watch all that. Now I go to the game, watch the game, enjoy it, and I don't, I don't get into that. Hmm. 
as much as I, not, not at all, really. Uh, once in a while, I look at the off-ball stuff, but but not much. Most of it is just watching the game. Sure. Do you have faith that Indiana is going to return to its glory days? Well, <laughs> that's that's a tough question. Uh, you you asked about Archie. I, I think Archie's doing a great job. Good. Uh, uh, but the competition is strong. Yeah. I, I mean, across the board, the, the whole Big Ten is, I mean, my golly, this – the athletes they have, you just kind of shake your head. And some of the shots they make, I said, how can they make that shot? Right. I mean, my golly, you know, you got someone guarding them, they're, they're 30 feet out and they still knock it in. Um, yeah, he, he's, he's going to do okay. I mean, I mean, we're, uh, whether we can get back to where we are one of the, five best programs in the country. I don't know whether that can happen or not. Uh, if you're there, you may not be there next year. Right. Uh, it's really difficult because there's so many good players. So you would say it's it's fair to say that the overall competition throughout the conference, throughout the country, is greater than it was back in your day where Illinois and Ohio State are pretty great but maybe the rest of the conference doesn't have yeah. that kind of ability yeah i don't think there's any question about that mm. uh i mean there's so many good high school players that uh, i mean it's mind-boggling uh and they're gonna go to college and, and and be good yeah all right before we let you go i gotta ask you this so you played for indiana you coached for indiana which team do you hate the most kentucky or purdue well, I really don't hate either one of them very much. Really? Oh. Uh, well, well, we hate enough. We hate enough for you. Our hate is uh, good enough for both of us. Well, yeah, you know, Purdue is it's great competition. We don't play. I, I, I never played Kentucky. Right. So, but Purdue, I mean, they've been great, great competition. They've been fun to play. Uh, they've been great ball games, uh, and it's a great university. Ooh, wow. Yeah, man. We'll cut Tom, that out. Want, we'll yeah, we'll edit don't that out be, of the program. You don't want to say <laughs> nice. I know, I know. But, Tom, we're not reasonable people. We don't like to give them any credit. You have to understand that. Okay, I'll go on your side. <laughs> yeah. All right, thank you. There we go. Thank you. Well, let's let's turn it back to the, to the greatest school, to IU. And when Eric had rattled off your many, many accomplishments at the beginning, you cited winning the state title in high school – and then you simply put playing for Indiana. What does that mean to you now? And, and what does being a, a, an Indiana Hoosier, not just as a basketball player, but as a coach and working with the alumni, what, what does I, IU mean to you and, and, and what has it meant to your life? I mean, I think that's easy to answer. IU is part of my life. It's basically almost all my life. Hmm. Uh, I mean, I mean, there for a while, everything I did was, was for the university. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I used it very important. It's been fun. I've enjoyed every minute of it. Uh, you know, people say, uh, well, you got a bad job. I said, no, I had the best job in the country. You know, I got to work with alumni. I got to work with former players. I got to play here. I got to coach here. Fantastic. Well, Tom, it's been almost 60 years since you laced them up for Indiana University. 
And Ward and I started this podcast and it quickly became a way for us to connect the different eras of Indiana basketball. And I know for Ward and I, being able to connect to the people that played long before we were there, the people that kind of built the tradition of Indiana, played for Branch McCracken, you coached at Indiana, you gave your life to Indiana afterwards. It means such a tremendous amount to us to be able to talk to you. Uh, we're going to tell people that we're friends now, just so you know that, okay? Because that, <laughs> that, that makes us feel good. good. Um, makes me feel good. You are, you are, what you did on the court is legendary. It really is. And what you continued to do for Indiana in the years after shows how much you mean to Indiana University. And we just can't thank you enough for giving us the time and for even learning how to do Zoom just so you could talk to us. <laughs> that means a tremendous amount. Uh Unbelievable. Oh, and one more thing before Ward, before I let Ward uh, sign off here, just so you know, I'm running for the board of trustees for Indiana next year, and I'm coming to you for an endorsement. You've talked to us now for about an hour and a half. Do you think I have the stuff that is needed to be a trustee at Indiana University? I don't know why not. All right, that's, <laughs> I'll take that. I have no reason to think not, although I will tell you this. It's a hell of a lot of work. I, I'm ready to do it. And a lot of responsibility and a big and a big time commitment. All right. You're starting to talk me out of it. But no, no, no. <laughs> no, I don't want to talk you out of it. No, no, no. I, I'm just telling you. But but I want you to know, Tom, when this thing gets popping for real, I'm coming to you for an endorsement. Like I'm gonna earn your vote. Okay, that's fine. Do you think I have a no chance problem. to earn your vote? Sure, no problem. Now, <laughs> would you easy. say that to somebody else? Would you say that to another person running? Uh, I don't know anyone else in running. All right, so that's you it. You got my vote. I've got your vote. We have Tom Boyer's <laughs> vote. <laughs> you got my vote. All right, this is phenomenal. All righty. I, I, will you let me know how I can get this? So I will. Can hear yeah. Tomorrow morning, we will send you a link. And Tom, okay. When we finally, sounds good. Tom, when we finally get back to Bloomington. Can we come over to your place and then late at night when he's asleep, can we all go over and just bang on Robert's door, get him all riled up and then run back to your house to hide? Well, I tell you what we do when you come to Bloomington, I meet you next for a beer and then we're going to knock on Robert's door. Yes. hysterics. hysterics. Love the guy. Love him. How can there be so many really cool guys who all played at the same school. It's incredible. Can you imagine being an undergrad at IU and being in the SAE fraternity and getting to hang out with the Vans and with Tom? I mean, like these guys are, here they are 60 years later and they're just a good hang. Really why Mike Roberts hangs out with them is not because they both played for IU or were assistant coaches at IU. It's because who wouldn't want to hang out with Tom? What, a, what an awesome neighbor to have. I mean, don't you just want to just keep, I mean, I felt bad because it was like, it's late by the way. Right? It is, it's 10 o'clock in Bloomington when we're shooting this, the, the, this is Monday night. And I just felt bad, but I just wanted more stories. I just love him telling these stories. And it was such a tease because he's like, well, I got more stories than you have time for. It's like, well, actually, we have all the yeah. time in the world. You, you don't know us. <laughs> no, you have more stories than you have time for. But it does kind of open a door to like, hey, Tom, somewhere down the road, you know all those stories you alluded to about Coach Knight, Jimmy Rail. Let's just have you 
write 20 of them down between now and then, and then you just come on and tell us all these great stories. Totally. Although I will say he gave us a good one on each person. He did. He came through. And again, you know, we talked about it with Steve Green, who was connected to Branch and in, you know, as a kid going to his camps. But and all the way back to Everett Dean. Everett too, Dean. With yeah. Green, but here you have a guy who starred in Indiana under Branch McCracken, played against John Havlicek, Dave DeBuscher, and Bobby Knight. Mm-hmm played with Walt Bellamy and Jimmy Rail and the Van Arsdales. And McLaughlin. And McLaughlin. Then comes back to Indiana, coaches George McGinnis and Steve Downing. Like, you know, as part of the, the handing over the torch to Bobby Knight. And then is an alumni association, you know, employee, working on spreading the, the message of Indiana bas- basketball in the glory years of Bobby Knight. It's just, it's mind-blowing that this thing that you and I grew up loving and worshiping, and here's a guy who at every level of it, I mean, we've talked to players and coaches, but players, coaches, and now the Alumni Association, which has a huge, huge, you know, part to play in the story of Indiana University. It's just phenomenal, and his spirit, he's 80 years old. I don't have that kind of like spirit. I'm 42. Like, give me half of that at 80 and I'll, uh, I'll consider it a success. It's the swag. The man has swag. He's like, yeah, I'm a badass. He probably had swag from the get-go and that's how he ends up leading a team to a state title. And then, and then that's just who you are. You're just a badass and uh, it never goes away. He's 80. He's tooling around Bloomington in a Chevy Silverado and then popping it out and bringing out the Corvette. (laughs) I mean, this dude is a stud. I have never been even close to as much of a stud as this guy is at 80. I mean, it is awesome. It did pass through my mind. You know, he looks great. I really have no doubt that he could beat me one-on-one right now in a game of basketball. No doubt. I have no doubt that he could beat me up. <laughs> like, forget beat, forget beat me to give up. The guy would just kick our ass probably one on two. He's just awesome. I also want to thank, special thanks to Mike Roberts. Yeah, for, for sure. Because Mike did hook us up for him, and we had some fun at Mike's expense. But Mike made this one possible, connected us with him, talked to Tom about it beforehand, and even offered, I'll say this, to go to his house and install Zoom for him if he couldn't do it. Above and beyond. Yeah, so really thank you. It was important to Mike that we hear Tom's story. And that's awesome. And and that says a lot about the current staff and the respect for the past, you know, and we hear a lot of positive reports about that. And and Mike is unique in that he is a part of the past. Let's not kid ourselves. It's it's it does, you're right. But, well, but that's why such so many of important. us. Yes, that's why so many of us want to make sure the past is represented on the present bench. And I will say this: Coach Roberts started bringing him up. I had no idea who Tom was. Yeah, obviously being born fifteen plus years after his playing days, but more to the point of well, when you're playing with Walt Bellamy, you're playing with Jimmy Rail, you're playing with the Vans. It's, it's like McLaughlin, too, who, who are these great players drafted into the NBA, but even 
even in their era, they're overshadowed by even greater players. And I just think our bandwidth, and this is probably true for any generation, is if you didn't grow up with it, if you didn't watch it, then then we only really got the highlights, the best of every team or every era is what we heard about growing up. And that history, I think the further you get away from it, the easier it is to get lost. And so I'm just so grateful that Coach Roberts introduced Tom to us so then we could introduce him to many more IU alum and, and even undergraduates who we should all know this man's story and his contribution and his incredible swag. You're right about all of it. I think about the teams that we grew up with and kind of the secondary players, right? So like one of the kids that Indiana is recruiting now put out a picture of Calbert Cheney. Like I was glad to be, you know, recruited by Indiana and put out a picture of Calbert. Who was it? It was, I think it was this Hunter Salas. We got to get him then. If he's posting Calbert Cheney pictures, I'm all in. We're going to talk about an unreasonable rabbi. Um, <laughs> but, but, but what it made me think like that kid doesn't know Chris Reynolds. That kid doesn't know Jamal Meeks. Sure. That kid probably doesn't know Damon Bailey. You know? Yeah, Greg and, Graham and on and, and Right, on. right. But then I was thinking, in relating it to Tom, the dude scored 20 a game. Almost like, 2010. Yeah, we're not exactly. And his in his uh, junior year, he scored 18 and a half and nine and a half. Yeah. Like, we're not talking about an also ran. We're talking about a star player who was all Big Ten his senior year. We're talking about a guy who, when he finished his Indiana career in 1963, was sixth all time in scoring. And the only people that were ahead of him were like Walt Bellamy, Archie Dees, Don Schlunt, Jimmy Rail. I mean, you're talking about the only people that were ahead of him are the legends of legends. Yeah, yeah. This is not an also-ran. Tom Bulliard is a star who happened to play in an era that had Walt Bellamy, one of the greatest of all time, Jimmy Rail, the greatest maybe pure scorer ever in Indiana, and then the folk heroes, Van Arsdales. Yeah. So, like, each year he had to deal with that, and all he did was keep plugging ahead and just being a stud. Well, and, and I would love to extrapolate his, his averages because he's playing only three years and not as many games. Four years and 30 games a year. He's, he's still way up there, I promise you that, in and, both scoring and rebounding. And just take a guy, just take a six-foot-four, six-foot-five guy who scores 20 a game and rebounds eight or nine rebounds a game. In today's basketball, you are a – you are a Big Ten Player of the Year candidate. Yeah. You are a first-team All-American. Yeah. You know, I mean, the last guy that scored 20 points a game for Indiana was who? Eric Gordon? Did he hit 20? Yeah, I, I bet he, he did. One year. But not many people do it. No. Not, uh, Victor Oladipo and Cody Zeller didn't score 20 a game. Calbert Thomas did it Bryant. two of his years. Calbert did it. It's, but that's what I'm saying. When you look at who has done it, it is the best of the best. Yeah. Do it. Only 26 in the 100-plus years of Indiana basketball have done it. Only 26 times, by the way. So it's amazing. Well, And, then, and so you, you look at all the, this great talent around him, and then when you combine that with 
no postseason success. And as you discussed with him, he was on two, three really excellent squads, but because they didn't win the Big Ten, they didn't get to the NCAA tournament. You know, those teams, they just don't get talked about as much. Totally. And to your point, I also think, and I, I have this argument with my dad too, because my dad went to Indiana during the Lou Watson years, okay? And the team sucked. Yeah. You know, and it's a shame that they sucked. Now, Lou's last year, they didn't suck, but they weren't as good as they should have been with George McGinnis and Steve Downing on the team, clearly. Mm -hmm. But they didn't suck. But my dad's experience is that that's what Indiana was when he was young. So they just, basketball wasn't a big deal. The truth is the branch did have really good teams in the early 60s. Mm -hmm. We went over a couple of them. They were very good teams. They, but you had to be one of the five best teams in the country to get noticed back then because of the way the system was set up. I mean, just think about it. Like one team per conference makes the tournament. Well, I mean, one, Indiana would have made the tournament two times in the last 20 years. I mean, like, so, <laughs> right. So I'm just saying that they get overlooked in large part because the era gets swept into this, you know, oh, the Watson year sucked. The early 60s didn't suck. They just weren't nationally well, relevant. But the maybe. Watson years were more mid-late 60s. 65 to 71. Yeah. Yeah. But the, the early 60s Indiana teams did not suck. Right. They didn't. They just they weren't the best team in the country and they were Ohio state at the time happened to be the best team in the country. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I loved it. And can we talk about this? He's going to vote for us. <laughs> the dude I, is going to vote for us. Yeah. It, uh, it didn't seem like it was a tough sell. It seemed like, Oh, you're the only guy no running. Shut up. What are you we doing? Had a nice conversation. Also, we should also say, we should also say that he gave us some advice. And we had to cut it out of the show okay? because yeah. we had to cut it out because, hey, he it's off the record stuff, but he gave us some advice. Yeah, that, that and, because I think obviously he's got to still have so many friends who are strong alumni I mean, who vote. Gotta, yes. So hopefully, hopefully there's that. Just, I'm gonna get a, we got to get a video with him, right? Exactly. But that you're getting some, you know, behind the scenes strategy is uh i mean really invaluable really it's invaluable. like talking to james carville and carl rove all wrapped up into one that's right that's right you know i went for both sides of the aisle i, I, I appreciate that we we try yeah. to stay apolitical and that does that i did that so um i loved him i'm so happy we got to talk to him i'm excited to tell boss that we talked to him and i mm -hmm. hope boss listens to it uh i hope that tom's brother listens to it because he his brother hooked him up with how to get on zoom but it just, again, you know, I keep loving this, and I'm pointing to the IU trident on my shirt. I keep loving it more and more because of guys like Tom Bolliard. I mean, I just, it, it just deepens my love and passion for this thing that we know is so special and deepens my desire to get it back to being that. How much do you want Tom to see IU getting back to being a top five program. God, just win big. Just give these guys some. I mean, they deserve it. You wouldn't be there. You wouldn't be making three and a half million dollars a year. You wouldn't be uh, on marquee nationally televised games. You wouldn't be invited to the Maui Invitational. You know, you wouldn't be given the benefit of the doubt on so many things if it weren't for all these guys that put the blood, sweat, and tears into it 
decades and decades ago. Not just Bobby Knight, not just Isaiah Thomas, Scott May, Quinn Buckner. It's not just those it's guys. It's like from it's the everything from the forties the through the nineties, this unbelievable sea of Hoosier Nation was was brought into being that that needs to be refreshed. And I think the 2002 run gave, gave it a, a burst. Obviously the Cody Vick years gave it a burst, you know, and now hopefully with all these Indiana kids seeing Romeo and then trace and now Christian going there, it's like, okay, that's, that could be a start, but it's just like, at some point the fans and, and the, the loyalty and the passion that got stockpiled for 60 years will start to run out. And it, it, it needs something really big and substantial for an extended period of time to make sure it remains, at the end of the day, still a top 10 school in this country for just the prestige of, of what IU basketball is. Agreed. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at Hoosier Hysterics for the hysterics. No E, no I, but But sometimes sometimes why we will be back at you next week with a very different and special one. Mm -hmm. Who's your man to lead us? Who's not a total dud? Who's your brother bleeding? Crimson blue blood. Who's your man demanding what you want and more? Who's you gotta get us back to the final four? We got to vote for Eric, man for you and me. We all trust in Eric, future trustee. If you wanna see the candy stripe back in the promised land, you best just vote for Eric, cause I know who won't. Who's your man?